You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in Central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest-growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. So the State University of New York has 64 campuses, mm-hmm. right? So you're not at any one campus, although you're involved with all of them. And so therefore, you don't get that having students on campus. You don't see the faculty in the same way we do here. So that's a big change, which is what I wanted. And so when I walk across the Oval, it's one of my favorite things to do is to meet the students and faculty. So that was a really welcome change. From Columbus Business First, it's Women of Influence, an interview series showcasing some of the most inspiring women in the Central Ohio business community. In some ways, Christina Johnson feels like she's just getting started at Ohio State University. She became president of the school, one of the largest in the country and the economic engine that drives Central Ohio in 2020. But the pandemic was still in full force back then, and its later waves and impacts have forced pivot after pivot in her brief tenure. But now, a few months into the 2022 to 2023 school year, things are settling into something that looks a bit more like normalcy. Johnson joined our Women of Influence podcast to talk all about her career path, her plans for OSU, and her early observations of football culture. I teed things up with a pretty easy question. How's the year going? The school year is going great, Ellen. Yeah. And i just super excited. I think about it as my third attempt at a first year. Yeah. Since the first two years were COVID all day long. Uh, are you still feeling effects of COVID today or are things mostly back to normal? You know, I think people talk about the long tail of COVID, right? From more physiologically. I think that really when I look at it, it's the effect on just the the work that we do in the academy. So mm-hmm. it's getting through it, recognizing that people are taking a break going, wow, we just went through something that was really tough. So I think that there's that sort of post-pandemic dealing with the stress, dealing with almost like PTSD in a mm-hmm. sense, right? So I think that'll take some time to work through. But yes, but faculty are back, students are back, they're loving it, and go out and onto the Oval it's one of my favorite things to do is to meet the students and faculty, staff out and about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mentioned I was just at my college and we realized that the current students hadn't hadn't like had a normal homecoming. You know, there's only one class that had even done this and that was back when they were freshmen. So it's going to take a while for things to sort of fully uh, That's right. reverberate. Well, you moved here during the pandemic. I know you've talked about that a lot, yes. but can you revisit that a little bit? How did that feel? What were you... Were you scared? <laughs> well, it was a challenge because we couldn't meet anybody. You know, you come in, your new president, new first lady, and the first thing you want to do is get to know 
as many people as you can and learn about the place, learn about the culture, connect with people. And we really couldn't. We, you know, you couldn't have gatherings with, you know, it had to be less than 10 people. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, a lot of the individuals that are just the folks that you would look to that would have the knowledge and the insight would generally be a bit older. And so it was really concerned about their health. So there are people that I just, we would put a date on the books and then we'd have an uptick in some sort of variant and then we'd have to get canceled. So it was a real kind of start and stop, start and stop. Same with students. We couldn't be in gatherings. So that, that was challenging. Our cabinet didn't meet together for the first time for until after commencement in my first year. Wow. So it's hard to build, you know, it's hard to build that kind of the importance of team when you're, you know, one-offs. Right? Mm-hmm. Some members had never met each other because they brought in some new people. So the, the, it, was, it was challenging. And then you think, okay, the second year, it's going to go well, which it did. But then there's the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. And then we came back from the Rose Bowl, and I remember being on the plane huddling with the cabinet in the aisle saying, you know, this Omicron variant is, there are a lot of our peer institutions in the Big Ten and other places that were remote for the first three weeks. So that's when we quickly pivoted to do antigen testing of all students coming back living on campus. So that that was a particular start of last spring that was challenging. But now, you know, you've seen the the, uh, the shoe filled up on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. You see people gathering. And we still have to be, you know, careful and not let our guard down. But it just feels more like normal. Mm-hmm. Johnson has been quick to lay out an aggressive agenda for the future of Ohio State University. She's made national headlines for her plan to help students graduate with zero debt. But that's just one of three initiatives she told me she's particularly excited about. Sure. So there are three major things that I just see as opportunities for the Ohio State University. There's a lot of details that we need to build into that, and that's where getting the whole community together to to figure out how we do them is really super important. We've made progress on several of them. The three initiatives are... Over the last decade, we've watched a decline in our net tenure-track faculty, so full-time faculty, and yet, at the same time, a tremendous increase, about a 10% increase in our student body. So you're increasing the number of students, decreasing the number of full-time faculty. And I emphasize full-time because we have great part-time faculty, great adjuncts. They Full-time are there full-time, and they're there to mentor and, and do research with students and engage that you want to have the right balance. And I think we got out of balance. So I've set a goal by the end of the decade to have increased our faculty by 350 net new faculty. Now, how we do that, the provost is, is planning that. She's That's her purview. That's why she came here. And so you'll look at things, and she's looking at things like where are the high demand. So with Intel coming in, it's going to be engineering and business. You look at where are the places that have lost faculty that you can't be a great university without. You know, so you're going to look at your social sciences, your humanities, your arts, your natural sciences, and those particular areas. And then you're also going to look for areas of emerging uh, scholarship and inquiry, where we can be a leader. I think those are three of the main areas. So that's in the faculty excellence and faculty excellence and student success, because the more faculty, the smaller the class sizes, the smaller the student-faculty ratio, it has been shown better outcomes for our students. So it's... That's door number one. Second one is how we build our reputation. We do a lot of research at, at Ohio State. Just under a billion when I came here. We are now over 1.2 billion. And, you know, early on, we think we're 
for this last year were going to be significantly greater than that even. So we'll get those numbers in January. Why is that important? Well, that research, that scholarship gives rise to educated workforce that can impact the intels and their supply chain that's coming in. But they also create new startups, new opportunities, and, and it also builds our reputation. So I think that when we announced $1.2 billion in research, that put us in the top 15 of all universities in the entire country, all of them. Mm-hmm. So as we go to double our research expenditures in this decade, I think that you will see Ohio State, which has always done great research, become known as that great research entity. We're top five in the country in industry research. Mm-hmm. It's more in the fundamentals, which mm-hmm. is really the heart of the academy. And then the last is if you've got this awesome academic excellence with great student success and the scholarship and the research and the performing arts uh, humming as they are, then you want to make it accessible and affordable. And so the third area is the Scarlet and Gray Advantage program, which is by the end of the decade to have Ohio State students that graduate graduate debt free. Mm-hmm. So those are the three major initiatives. Now, how we carry them out and how we work together, that's really to be informed with our university senate, which is comprised of faculty, students, and staff. It needs to be, you know, brought to the trustees. We want to make sure that our faculty are fully behind what areas of scholarship and research we're going to emphasize. And uh, I don't think anybody's against debt-free <laughs> So, yeah. Well, it's all exciting stuff that you're working on. You, you talked a little bit about the the imbalance in the faculty and the student growth, what are some of the causes of that? Just not particularly aggressive recruitment? And how, how did it come to be? that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I haven't really had the um, time yet to delve into why. I think there, there are different rewards and incentives that need to be aligned with what the end goal is. So we're really looking at those incentives. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably where we need to be. Johnson is an engineer by training a field of study that has her well-prepared to help Ohio State fill the workforce needs of soon-to-arrive semiconductor giant Intel. But engineering wasn't her first passion. It wasn't always what I wanted to study. I really uh, was a math major starting out, and a math and physics major. And then one of my TAs came to me and said, look, if you like math and you like physics, you ought to be an engineer. And I didn't think much about it at the time. I sort of rejected it out of hand. But true story, my, my father was ill, he had cancer, and he ended up passing away my sophomore year, which is when you declare usually your major. And I, I felt I kind of got robbed of have, knowing him. And he was an electrical engineer. And my TA was in a class that said, if you like math and like physics, you ought to be an electrical engineer. And so I'm thinking, okay, the, 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 the world is sending me some signs here. So I did. I ended up declaring electrical engineering. And ironically, my grandfather went to Ohio State also got a degree in electrical engineering mm-hmm. in 1896. So now third generation. Likely slightly yeah. different field of study yes. at that point. <laughs> right. Well, interestingly enough, my dad and granddad were both hydropower engineers. Mm-hmm. And my granddad went to work for Westinghouse in Pittsburgh, actually George Westinghouse. And then my dad joined the company later. And everybody thought I would join Westinghouse. And I went into more digital. They were more analog mm-hmm. with hydropower. So I went into the digital world. But I did have, I did start after I got out of the Department of Energy as undersecretary, I did start a company in hydropower. I know, yeah, I saw that you did uh, have some. So you you circle it all comes back. It around. all comes back. <laughs> and which is hilarious. It 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 kind of verifies 
this saying that people have, fake it till you make it, <laughs> because I thought, well, look, my grand, my grandfather was a hydropower engineer. My dad was a hydropower engineer. It must be in the DNA. I can be a hydropower engineer. Yeah, there's a lot to it. <laughs> and, and I learned it. But OMG, it was not as straightforward as I thought it would be. But just having the confidence to do something and just we, by sheer will, we, mm-hmm. we succeeded. Mm-hmm. And remind me, do you have children? I do not. Okay, so the the engineering well, background. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, I've been very involved in my sister's kids. Oh, okay. Of which she has three. And one is now a software engineer. And another one is in, is in energy engineering. So they're laying claim to the fourth generation. The, the family. And the uh, family. And they have kids. So Marty's starting to work on their kids. <laughs> After finishing her PhD, Johnson went into the world of academia, first with a postdoc at Trinity College in Dublin, and then as a professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. I asked her about that decision. So um, I hadn't planned to go into academia, and, and I've talked about this in various speeches. One of the reasons is because when I was at Stanford, I didn't have any women professors in either the, you know, I was a math and physics major for the first two years. Mm-hmm. Then I changed to electrical engineering. In all those fields, in chemistry that I took, I had no women role models. And I, it didn't occur to me that that was a field that women went into, to be blunt, right? In eight years at Stanford, I only had two women faculty, one in psychology and one in communications. But a few things happened as I was graduating. We had Title IX. Uh, well, it was before I graduated, but you had Title IX in, what, 1972, but then you had uh, the financial impact of it by 78, 77, 78, mm-hmm. where, where you know, universities needed to get serious if they wanted to maintain federal funding, that they needed to, to look after Title IX. So I was just graduating about 79, and then by the time I finished my PhD and was looking um, looking for positions, I think that many, and, and in fact it was Big Ten schools, to be honest, that stepped up and said, yes, we need to have women on our faculty. I ended up going to Colorado back home, and uh, mostly because my mother was still alive and I wanted to be close to her in her later years. But for that happening, I probably would not have become a professor. Mm-hmm. But Johnson didn't stay put as a professor. She soon found herself moving naturally into the world of higher ed administration. Well, I, I was a professor for 14 years at Colorado and really pioneered some working with my colleagues, some large cross-disciplinary centers. So we had a center for optoelectronics that involved faculty in chemistry, physics, electrical engineering, math, mechanical engineering, computer science. And I realized that was really cool because all of us worked well together. We got along. We did things that you couldn't have done individually. And there were things that came up, like the split of indirect cost recovery, which can be a very controversial thing in the academy, that just seemed to be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is obvious. We should split it this way. And everybody said, yeah, that makes sense. And so the ability to make decisions based on clear logic, I thought, was a knack I had. And mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I then was um, interested in the dean role at, at Duke, which I ended up doing, because I thought if you could just make these logical, you know, decisions at the next level, then you can make more people happy in the academy. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, then what's the next level? And then here we are. Johnson came to Ohio State from SUNY, the State University of New York. I asked her about that transition. What was different? Well, so the State University of New York has 64 campuses, mm-hmm. right? So you're not at any one campus. Actually, a former uh, president of Ohio State, Britt Kerwin, told me once, 
He said, let me tell you the two lies that are told when a, a chancellor, I was a chancellor of State University of New York, and he was the chancellor of the uh, Maryland system. When a chancellor goes to a campus and comes in and says, the, the president greets the chancellor and says, happy to have you here. <laughs> and the chancellor says, what can I do for you? You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, it was, it was kind of a, a cute joke. But there's some truth in that you go to campus, there's already a president there. And you really are working at one step away from a campus to em- enhance the policy, get a bigger budget for everybody, work on ways to make it easier for people to do what they love. Mm-hmm. Right? All those are, are similar. It's just that at the end of the day, you know, you're not really part of any one campus, although you're involved with all of them. And so therefore... It's just you don't get that having students on campus. You don't see the faculty in the same way we do here. So that's a big change, which is what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So when I walk across the Oval, there's no Oval to walk across. There's no engagement in that regard. So that was a really welcome change. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really why I wanted to come to a campus. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned some time at Duke. So you've been somewhere with a rabid sports fandom Sure. <laughs> but how has how have you adjusted to the football culture of Ohio State? Well, so I, I love football. I love sports. And you're right. Duke is a rabid all on basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar things, wanting to make sure that the university is as well known for its athletic accomplishments, which we are here, as um, our academic accomplishments and vice versa. So I think that there were themes there. Of course, at, at Duke, the stadium only holds... 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. And so here when it holds 100,000. I have to say my first my first year here, I didn't get it because we didn't have people in the stands. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. <laughs> What's going on? There's only like 1,000 people. There are friends and families of the players. And then last year, we had more people back. And then this year, our athletic director is phenomenal, Gene Smith. He sat me down. He goes, okay, let me explain what's going to happen. I said, no, no, I, I, I got this. You know, last year we had everybody back. He goes, no, no, no. Notre Dame is going to be a big game. <laughs> the tailgating is going to be another order of magnitude. The attendance, it's just going to go up. So, and and he was right. It mm-hmm. was. I'm sad we only have two more home games. Yeah, so it's gone by quickly. It does. I really do feel like the college yeah. football season races. Are you optimistic about? Oh yeah, definitely <laughs> optimistic. It's amazing what Coach Day and Gene Smith and all the coaches have been able to do. So I've had the opportunity to go to some of the volleyball games and. Coach uh, Odenberg is amazing, and I've gone to an ice hockey game and seen Coach Muzzerall, and I've been to a field hockey game. Of course, that's my sport. I get out to some soccer. There's just a lot going on, mm-hmm. so I'd like to do that. I'd like to see a men's ice hockey game. So we're with 36 sports. There's a lot yeah. to do. Keep you pretty busy, yeah. and and all your other responsibilities. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, so say so you have had a, a very busy week. Something I ask everyone: What is your go-to way to unwind? How do you de-stress? Friday night, I love to host, you know, dinners with community members, you know, supporters of the university. So to me, it's, you know, I, I enjoy that on, on a Friday night. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a fun, fun thing to do. And I enjoy going to, to the games, mm-hmm. all games. And you played field hockey in college? Yeah, I played field hockey in, in lacrosse. So mm-hmm. lacrosse, will, of course, won't start up till next semester. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Those both seem like work, though. <laughs> Well, but I love it. You know, you, the, to do things that support our faculty and students and staff is really important to me. So we had, two weekends ago, we uh, dedicated the Timoshev Family Music Building. 
And that was terrific. We had multiple performances going on and celebrated Ratmir and Angela to Mishev and their family for making the most generous gift that made that building happen, which really starts to kind of fill in the arts district on that side of campus. That was a blast. And then there was, in the afternoon, a special performance in Mershon with our various orchestras and, and chambers. And, you know, to, to see pieces that were developed, that were created by our own people for this wonderful event was just tremendous. So mm-hmm. that was really special. So the music is, is a big part of who we are, too. Okay. Athletics isn't the only big business at Ohio State. The school's been investing billions in capital improvements, including the creation of a new West Campus Innovation District that just got a new name. I think the Innovation District, so we've named Carmenton, as you oh, know. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm behind on no, the branding. No, no, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I, I still use both because Carmenton, people are like, what? But obviously, Song of Ohio and, and town or ton is really important because we want the town center in Carmenton to be a place where people live, innovate, work, and play together and go out after, after work and continue to talk about their ideas and continue to make progress on whatever they're working on, I think will be really important. So I think you'll see a lot of the development around Carmenton mm-hmm. going forward. We have our new interdisciplinary research facility that's being built there, mm-hmm. 360 some thousand square feet, on, if I'm recalling that right. And that will have 18 different research neighborhoods from life sciences uh, to software. We have an energy advanced innovation center, the IRF, and the EAIC, both those buildings will be ready spring and summer of this year. So that's great. We have a new building that we're, you know, developing a budget model for in order to see when we might be able to break ground on it to support our expansion in the research enterprise. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see a lot there. Uh, that town center still needs to be designed and then constructed. Yeah, so there's a lot of work mm-hmm. to do over the next, you know, five, seven years. Finally, as always, I asked Johnson for her best advice. Well, I think a couple things. When I look back on my career, I think one of the recognitions is that sometimes if you want to pursue something in your career, a move or more responsibility, you have to be willing to move and you have to be willing to uproot and go to a new place. And that, that can be hard. Sometimes it's hard to be a prophet in your own land, I think is what the saying goes. So I think that's one thing. I think also look for opportunities to hear from other outstanding women leaders. So, for example, our commencement in in August, we were fortunate to have, you know, a commencement speaker, Jane Ava Grody, that was just tremendous. And to hear her story and going going in as undercover boss, and she gave everybody the values of their company as they walked in, a little metal kind of coin. It was very special. And then, of course, we're going to have Katie Smith give our December commencement so study other women leaders, understand what are their challenges, how they dealt with them, and learn from it. I think that's part of it. And then build a, build a network to support you because, you know, it's, um, it can be challenging at times. And when it is, you need to have support. And then the third piece I would say is don't be afraid to ask for help. And I think that's the biggest thing is that you don't have to do it all yourself, that there are a lot of people that... You know, for example, with The Ohio State University, there's so many people that want us to succeed that there's a lot of people that we can draw on to get help. And so I think those are kind of the three things. Well, that's terrific. And thank you so much, Christina, for joining us and for for sharing so much wisdom. 
And thanks so much to all of you for joining us as well. If you're not already, then follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll be notified of each new episode as it's released. Another huge thank you to Christina Johnson for joining us. I'm Eleanor Kennedy, Assistant Managing Editor of Columbus Business First, and this has been Women of Influence. See you next time.